This is Limit Up, a trading podcast presented by the performance coaches at Top Step. We discuss futures, forex, stocks, options, history, trading psychology. Basically, if you can trade it, we'll try our best to make sense of it. Now, on to the show. Good afternoon, traders. Welcome to the Limit Up podcast presented by Top Step. I'm Jack Pelzer, joined by Dan Hodgman. Dan, GME earnings today after the bell. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> I wish I bought it when we dip back to 40. 186 right now. I'll explain to you my position later, Dan, but I am uh, deep in more cowardly trades on that. <laughs> so I'm kind of not in this. I have not accepted yet the... The social, the social aspects to what stock can happen to stocks, right? Like I have looked at Wall Street bets for years. I have gone into Reddit. 99% of what I see in there, I tend to laugh at. And I go, crazy, crazy. This talk about, talk about GameStop. Crazy, crazy. Yet I'm starting to show a little acceptance. And I've been, I see it in a lot of places. You know, I have talked with some people here at Top Step that are not on the trading side, um, but that are heavy into GameStop. And, you know, their mentality is still to the moon. Well, if you decide that you do want to place a trade in GameStop, I think uh, today's episode will be something you want to listen to. It's more about trading in general. But uh, I thought today, as you probably saw in the outline going into this, that we could talk about our self-assessment of our own trading it could be either for the year 2020 or in general. But we were talking with Hogue about how it's so important when you're trading to maximize your strength, minimize your weaknesses. And you see it, you know, we make a ton of sports analogies when it comes to trading, but name the sport, tennis, basketball, any sport, you're trying to rely on your strongest part of your game, say it's your serve. And if you have a crappy backhand, you try and stay away from that. Same thing's too, true of trading. Nobody can be good at everything. And we most certainly are not. <laughs> so I'm perfect, Jack. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, then you'll about. listen to me talk about my woes. But I thought a good <laughs> way to do this, and we'll talk a little bit more about GME and stuff, which is three syllables. So I don't know why I'm saying that instead of GameStop, which is two. But because this is a trading podcast and uh, we've, we've got to use the acronyms for it all. That's a good point. You can kind of... Like, we don't say S&P. We say ES. We don't say NASDAQ. We say... NQ. Oh, yeah. We don't say Dow. We, well, we do say Dow. I take that back. We do say Dow. We don't say Y. Well, but those make sense. I mean, I'm not going to say, uh, you know, I was trading the Standard & Poor's 500 index today. <laughs> I, I sound like some, like, Robin Baron from the 1920s. Maybe that's what this I am. True. Anyway, I thought the way we could go through it and, and kind of show a way that everyone out there who is listening... Is it's important to take a real honest look at yourself. And I think sometimes it helps to say them out loud or say them to someone else just to get them out there to sort of, uh, you're coming out, if you will, as someone that suffers from too much FOMO. I don't know what it'll be. But I think you should always start these conversations with things you do well. It's kind of like when you give one of those uh, corporate critique sandwiches where you could be, you know, if you're, if you're going to talk to someone. Well, before I... <laughs> Before I fire you, I'm going to tell you all the things you're good at. There is. <laughs> and then we'll get to your deficiencies. I'm going to butcher this, but I think that there's 
maybe it's in the public realm in Germany or someplace that there's laws against so 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 you can't uh like slander people for further jobs they have laws or rules against giving super negative performance reviews with certain language so i found this site i'll see if i can find it again at some point where they were showing terrible german performance reviews and they were still they didn't say anything bad they would just be yeah, as in this person excelled at showing up just under the minimum requirements <laughs> <laughs> this person was phenomenal at timing it just right to work the minimum hours i wish i could be that good at cutting down my this work trader hours. had great interpersonal skills while they lost a half a million dollars so <laughs> what i think would do is is kind of go back and forth and i kick things off with a little braggadocio and talk about the aspects of our trading toolbox that we like. So for myself, and the first one has always been true, I am good at making trades in the moment in fast markets. I thrive over that sort of pressure. I kind of like the action of it. It reminds me kind of why I got into trading in the first place, right? It's the grinding markets that mm -hmm. I can't handle because I feel like I'm sitting around. I can't do anything. I'm helpless. I do my best when the market's fast. So I don't know if you feel the same way, Dan, but you're welcome to kind of we can go back and forth if you want to give something you do well. Yeah, for sure. So I'm, I'm kind of similar. One of my deficiencies is thinking too hard on a trade. If I'm looking at something, if I like it, if I spend too much time thinking about it, I will talk myself out of it. So I'm pretty quick to, okay, you know, I tell a lot of traders, make sure you're asking yourself why three, four times before you enter a trade. Why do I like this trade? Why am I getting in? Why am I choosing this trade? Things of that nature. I think it's really important. And most of the time, if I recognize someone, most of my whys have already been answered because of where I'm looking. And I know what my setups are and I know what prices I'm looking at for opportunity in the markets, right? Um, but yeah, so I'm very similar. I have to execute pretty quick. Um, I don't like automated execution. I like hundred percent manual and I don't think twice. Once I see the trade, I take it. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't move on to the next one. Yeah. I, I've noticed that that's something that you tend to be very, at least in what I've seen, kind of unaffected and level headed by the trades as much. I know other people along the way, maybe some of this firm who get a little more animated, say, when something is going against them. I, I appreciate that. It's something I've worked on for years. Really, for me, it just comes down to the first trade I ever took. I was a kid um, and like screen trading was really just beginning. And I was just supposed to hedge a position for my dad. His hedger had to step away for a minute. My dad's on the headset and he goes, all right, buy 10. So I don't think he just pay what they're asking. I thought this was trading. I thought you had to work a price because I hear the guys all the time. Hey, I'm working threes. I'm working sixes, whatever. So I start working at a couple ticks below the market. My dad's screaming, fill it, fill it. And I don't know a lot of the lingo at the time. So I'm working them. I'm working them. He comes out and he's coming at me and it fills. And I was like, I got to fill. I made us a couple couple bucks. I didn't realize what was on the line there. 
And so then I started to really be cognizant of everything I did. So it was a balance of trying to figure it out. If anyone is ever, ever ends up working out there as a trading clerk or you're trading someone else's account, there's trading, there's hedging. When something's coming in as a hedge, you, you hit it or lift it because you just I'll tell it. you this, just from a selfish perspective, there is no glory. Like what Dan describes right there, we've been through similar things. You're not going to get much praise for making a few. The people you work for tend to think everything that they do, anything that happens to their account that's good is their genius. And anything that happens mm-hmm. that is bad is on you. If, for instance, when it comes to hedging, so say if that ran the other way and you had to chase it. You got to chase it. Then then the margins that you might be making on your options trade are now going against you. You're upside down. So now you're trying to you're trying to hedge yourself. But then as soon as you hedge yourself, you're like, okay, can I dump? Can I dump these options and find a way to flip things around to make some money? It, it creates a game that you don't want to play. Um, so hedging is a very cut and dry thing. Your theoreticals are going to tell you exactly how many, what your delta is based on how many options you're going to get. You know how many, for me it was bonds, I know how many bonds I have to buy or sell to hedge myself to neutral at each specific price. And you do it just like that and you don't question it because your job is to, was to trade the f- options, not the futures. Because you have a strategy, right? And we always preach about exactly. sticking to your strategy. Well, and other um, thing. oh, you know, I was going to mention too how you, I thought it was interesting how you mentioned that you kind of taught yourself over time to kind of approach trading more in a level-headed way. Um, I've been on a big tennis kick lately, as you might notice. Get prepared. I, I've noticed. Some metaphors. I'm back to playing matches. And um, I was reading yesterday. So my, and this is going to be a real hot take, uh, like my favorite tennis player ever is Roger Federer. I didn't know this about him. I was reading about his junior career. And he was a number one world junior player. He won the junior Wimbledon and stuff. But apparently, he was kind of a hothead. And it's something that he can't, because I only know him as a pro, and he is the opposite of that. He's won 13 sportsmanship awards or something, annual sportsmanship awards. But it shows that he said it's something that I focused on, and I just learned not to do that because getting frustrated, smashing rackets, it's not going to help you. And then he's probably made hundreds of millions more in endorsements because he's not smashing rackets like Novak Djokovic, right? Well, all I can think about is Johnny McEnroe and explicitly Johnny McEnroe in Mr. Deeds when they're like trying to jump speeding cars. Like that's what I think (laughs) of when you say a tennis player who has uh, an emotional game. I just think of Johnny McEnroe. Oh, there used to be people and there's, you know, these people exist in trading too. The same people that scream and yell when they're trading were the people that were playing on their high school tennis team, screaming and yelling and every point that they missed was a travesty it was you know unparalleled yeah i played hockey i played some pretty physical sports growing up from boxing hockey football lacrosse martial arts and most of my sports especially like the boxing and the martial arts it was very big to shit talk other people run your mouth a little bit try and intimidate them and i was always a super quiet person whether it was on the ice whether it was like prepping for a match, whatever I was doing, I've always been extremely quiet. Cause like, first off, I'm not really good at talking shit to people. I'm not. That's not my. Not my not forte. quick with a, you know Kevin Garnett. <laughs> I'm not that quick. I might be like, yeah, well, you're really not good. 
That you was know, a like subpar shot I, guy. Right? My shots are real low, but I've also been just like, hey, you know, let your game speak for itself. And that for me is trading. Like, don't get me wrong. There have been times I am sitting at a desk. I have multiple mice. There have been times where I'm not real happy about something I just did and got rather large hands and I can simply squeeze one of these things and they can break pretty easily right in my hand. I have done that. I don't do it often. It's been a few years since I've done yeah, that. Yeah, you got yourself a whooping um, mice. Get an extra mouse. You can for break me, it really <laughs> Right. For me, it really just comes down to, is it really worth it? Is it really worth it to get that upset over something? If I screwed up and I deviated from what I'm supposed to do, if I go back to what we talked about last week and I get on tilt, well, it's going to be more than the mouse that's feeling pain. I mean, I've got the, I got a punching bag in the basement. Like I can go get my anger out because I did something stupid, but there's no sense in getting upset or frustrated when I did everything I was supposed to do. Definitely. So quick inside, aside before I move on to the uh, next thing that I'm proud of in my trading is uh, audience, look up Kevin Garnett out there if you want a Hall of Fame basketball player combined with a Hall of Fame shit talker. That guy, <laughs> he's a machine, man. He's the best. From Chicago, Kevin Garnett. So the other thing that I think that I am good at is, I'll combine these two because they're kind of related, is understanding macro forces and i'm going to tie that into risk management at a high level so what i mean by high level risk management is and i'm going to knock on wood over here is i have avoided ever having catastrophic trades in my career i've never blown out an account i've never lost money that i felt like i could not lose um now I say on a macro level, because I think it's important to stay in the match. We'll get to this a little bit later. On the micro level, on the day-to-day, -day, sometimes when I start flailing, I'll let my risk management slip. But we'll, we'll go to that in the next section. So, Dan, you've never... Have you ever blown out an account? Before you get... No, I have not. Before you dive into this, I want to make everyone understand what you're bringing up is an extremely important point. We say a lot here at Top Step, always trade for tomorrow, and that's the micro level. There is a major macro level that we always have to remember. You know, when we do sit here and say, I had a bad day, or it's been a rough week, it's still not going to affect that long-term effects of trading. If we get to the point where we have lost so much that we can't recover and we have to go find something new to do, that's where you're really going to struggle. So there's a huge balance. And I, I think everyone needs to recognize that. Yeah. Like, we're going to have big down days. That's 100% of trading. But knowing where, even if you're on tilt, knowing where that point is of like, I can't recover from this and I'm not letting myself get to that. Right. And I think I've announced it before. But an example, for instance, in my trading is I was... For a little while, and yeah, because I lose trades, obviously, too, um, I was short Tesla, right? And I lost more than I sh wanted to, like more than, so that's the micro level. But on the macro level, I just didn't hold and double down. If I was still holding that trade, I would be down hundreds of thousands of dollars. So it's a matter of not being so stubborn, and I, I call it zealotry a lot, where sometimes you got to be careful about trading 
products that you're too close attached to. If you're a gold bug or a fanatic for some stock or cryptocurrency, you can see what you need as far as investment, but that can be dangerous if you're dangerous if you're leverage trading it. Because mm-hmm. you're always going to feel like it should work out. Yeah, I've actually, I've worked with a lot of traders. I've looked for to a lot for mentorship, and there's been a couple I've actually talked to that I've asked to like kind of work with a little bit and learn from them. And they'll be flat out and say, "There's been two of them have been very flat out and saying, nope, you don't want to work with me. I've I've got enough money that." I can sit on something long enough until I make money. And there is there are traders out there. And it's they're few and far between and you've got to be careful of that. Like there are some people that might say, "Hey, I still like the long side of this or that or the short side of this or that." And it's understanding their risk of appetite, their appetite for right. risk is so different than where and- we're at. They're also playing almost a little bit of the Monte Carlo strategy where the truth is even they can blow out eventually it's just the longer Mm -hmm. you hold something and if you have the capital to keep on piling on something uh there's a better probability it will come back but you're also from a risk management level if it keeps on going that's where you see fantastical blowout i mean that's how that guy oh for sure uh those are the ones that they write yeah, books so, about. Yeah, Social General or whatever who lost like $7 billion. I mean, there's, no matter how rich anyone you know is, there's fewer than a uh, 100 people on earth who could take that sort of loss. I was going to say, but you even think, I don't know who the richest person in the world Bezos. today is. Elon Musk or Bezos. It keeps bouncing between the two. Both of them. They could be in a trade that could blow them out. Absolutely. So the richest hundreds of billions of dollars, you can see those losses happen. They, As they I figured out, now Bezos is worth $180 billion. That It could still happen. That that would it, be it's tough. A, it's a lot. That's I mean, Amazon has to tank. <laughs> Amazon has to completely tank for him to lose it all. But even a guy like that, he's not going to risk hundred billion dollars on a position. He's not going to risk 50% of his net worth because he thinks something's going to turn around. He's going to hit that fail safe button well before that. Yeah. So uh, those are some of the things we're good at. So Dan, you want to kick off like, what are some things with your trading? We'll call these the milder one than your worst tendencies. What are some things you think you uh, look at as areas of improvement? So one of my biggest things that I like to work on, and this is one that I've really struggled with, um, being a treasuries trader, first and foremost, I've always been an early morning trader. I like to trade equities pre-open. And historically, it's not the best time for me to get into trades. I will say this, some of my biggest winners over the last two years have been pre-opens. And it doesn't weigh out a lot of the losses that I've had. So I've had huge profits come out of those trades, but I have a lot of losses that coincide with taking those wins. Um, So I really, that's something I'm really working on is trying to understand what I'm doing that's making these successful trades, what the factors are, so that I can kind of focus on those and avoid, I think it's just the mentality of I'm looking for a breakout and then 
pretty open. I'm looking for something to happen off that open that's going to really pay me some good money. And more often than not, it's staying range bound. It's it's doing what it's supposed to do. And I'm looking for a breakout trade there. And I'm, if anyone has ever talked to me knows I'm not a breakout trader. I don't think they are successful trade strategies to have long term. I think it's something you can utilize sometimes. But I like looking for a breakout off the open and being in a position. Yeah. No, that's that's a good thing to think about. For for me, and this is like just a giant one. So we've talked before, all trading is the same in some ways. One of the things that's tough for me sometimes, just you know, speaking on this podcast and doing stuff for Top Step, is I don't have a ton of experience trading outright futures the way that our traders generally do. Um, through my career and even now, I'm someone who's always been involved with pairs trades or even pairs hedged with pairs. And just because that fits my style more where I like putting more size on for longer, give it a chance to work out, have a defined, my favorite, uh, you know, I guess it's the same thing as setting your stop loss, but I like to have defined risk profiles. I like to know what's the most I can lose on this trade, what's the most I could make. So just to give examples like right now, so I'll, you know, you hedge, you could do put and call spreads or more often than not, I'm buying or selling the underlying and hedging with puts or calls. Um, that just more fits. It reminds me of the way I used to trade with treasuries at the prop shop. So I'm trying to learn more about that because I want to be uh, a better resource, but I still feel sometimes like I don't have the entire lingo down for outright trading. And at my job, I would get in trouble sometimes for, cause there were people who were great outright traders and kind of like Dan with the, the bonds is then I would start trying to leg things or trade outrights and. I don't know how to separate that from the P&L, but I don't think it was good. When it comes to trading outrights and futures, I think you have to recognize what you're doing it for, which I think is one of my strengths is I recognize what I use outright futures for. I don't look at it as like, I'm going to create wealth by trading outright day trading futures, right? I'm looking at it to provide short-term stimulation and opportunities. We've had in the past, we've had a lot of guests on here that have talked about diversification across all facets. Like Jack here is talking about longer term spreads that he's put on trading pairs. You know, those are things that I think all traders should be doing. If you, even if you are a retail day trading future, you have to diversify and be in different aspects. I know I still actively trade the treasury options. I'm still pretty active with them. I'm still watching them daily. I'm still involved in them. I do a lot of spread trading. You know, I've traded on the side. I've always traded uh, treasury yield spreads. I'll still continue to trade those. So you've got to be diversified. And then there's that long-term idea too, right? So every, and this is definitely one of my strengths is I know what my timeframes are and everything that I'm looking at. Very rarely do I trade an outright future more than a couple days long. You know, it's not something I'm going to sit in. I have some stuff that's been going for a little while that I will do, but those are hedged a little bit. I am covering myself in a, in a way to ensure that my losses, if it goes against me, aren't overwhelming. But there's a lot of those things that you you really have to know what you're doing it for. You know, we talk day trading a lot. I love day trading. 
It's one of my favorite things. But I also will be honest with everyone out there. Diversify in what you're doing too. Don't put all your eggs in that one basket. Have a couple of different baskets going. Yeah, it's, it's not a way to get rich. As you mentioned, if you look at, you know, we mentioned who's who's the you know richest. If you look at the hundred people, the Forbes list or whatever bullshit, they all either started or inherited companies. None of them, you don't see number seven on the list as some, uh, you know, retail futures trader. That'd be awesome. But uh, it's just not the way it works. Even the people involved in finance or trading or hedge funds that are probably on that list, they're what they're doing looks very different in some ways. So I think you got to have the right expectations is the only way it's going to allow you to be successful. I mean, I'm just going to keep on going with the tennis references. I watched this video with Andre Agassi. Keep them yeah, coming. Well, I'm going to share this. Uh, I want to send it to the coach's channel because he was talking about how success and failure is all an illusion and that it's only how you interact with your life each day. Because he was number one in the world and dropped to like 140 and then climbed all the way back. But he said the first time he was up there, he had worked his whole life and thought he'd make his family proud, his dad proud by being number one. And he just felt miserable. It didn't feel right. And then when he got down, then he started, why am I doing this? Am I just trying to get better? This is for me. And then he was so much more confident and assured himself when he was back on top again. I love that. It goes with that whole process of like hard times make hard people, right? Like you've got to go through some shit to then realize, you know, what makes you happy, where you struggle. Like I, I love that concept. I mean, I look at trading in that aspect too, right? Like I get asked, I think a lot from traders out there, a lot of novice or newer traders coming in and they talk to me and they'll, you know, what's been your biggest trade? What's been your biggest year? Like, what kind of money are you making on a daily basis? And I think they look at like trying to benchmark what, what someone else is doing is for them. And I don't think that's physically possible to benchmark anyone, you know, to find success in this industry. You have to know what you want out of it. And if you don't know what you want out of it, you can be the greatest trader in the world and make more money than anyone but because you have not created that goal or that desire of what you want out of this, it's going to be unfulfilling. Because there's always more. You're not going to, if you made a million dollars trading in a year, whether you're happy is not going to have, they've done scientific studies where I think it's, you know, up to about $100,000 a year in income is money actually does buy happiness at that expense because, you know, it's, shitty being poor, right? There's all sorts of other stresses that come in. But after $100,000, a lot more of it is how you relate to communities and your family and stuff like that. I know people who have made several million dollars in a year trading. What they wanted, they weren't satisfied with that. They wanted to make $30 million. And that's there's always going to be more that you want, but that's not going to dictate whether you're satisfied with what you're doing with your life. I completely agree. And just to, uh, I think this is probably like one of the deepest little moments we've gotten in uh, this podcast in a long time. So I'm, I'm going to bring it back lighthearted here and I'm going to bring a quote from uh, Kenny Powers, Eastbound and Down. 
Um, they say money doesn't buy you happiness, but it buys you jet skis, and those make me happy. <laughs> yeah. No, that's exactly right. If you love jet skis, go um, jet ski. Right. Like as long as I, I completely agree with that concept. Like I, there's all you're always going to have that desire for more, and if you don't, well. I don't want to be friends with you. Like I want to be around people that desire to have more. What that more is obviously can be money, but what is that money going to provide you? Opportunity. So you're looking to create more experiences, give back a little bit more, create these freedoms that you want. That to me is what we can do with this trading. Now, I'm not a million dollar a year trader. You know, I trade my own I trade my own money and uh but what I do make makes me pretty happy. And every year I'm looking to make a little bit more um, to continue to pay for these opportunities that I love so much. You know, if I didn't have trading, I probably wouldn't have my snowmobiling. If I didn't have snowmobiling, I wouldn't be a very happy person in the winter. So it, it's all slightly correlated. So you got to have desires and goals. You want to cons- constantly better yourself, but also know what what's that point? Where am I? At, at what point am I making this? Well, I've said it in the past, like don't allow... Don't allow the trading to affect your personal life. Like you still have to have that balance. Yeah. If people in your family or in your life are saying, hey, you, you got to stop. I want more time with you. Like, rec- listen. Yeah. I, I think this ties in nicely. Now, this will be fun too. Going over, uh, I marked this as what are the absolute worst aspects of your trading? I'll leave this off so as not to be, you know, throwing the shade out. I think that I do suffer from uh, some perma-bear attitudes, but I the one I want to get to is kind of what we talked about there, FOMO. Other people having a lot of success that are around me makes me want to push too hard when I shouldn't. And um, that's completely... I have an example from when I was trading at the firm is one of my partners was really killing it. And I forget if this was over Thanksgiving or like the Christmas holidays or New Year's Eve. For some reason, I was out of town and he went in. So we had night guys that would watch your positions, but he went in overnight. And I was talking to my clerk the next day on vacation, just being like, how's it going? Like, you know, what happened last night and stuff? And he's like, oh, so-and-so really killed it. And I was... I should not have, A, asked that question how other people were doing. It doesn't affect me. But then I followed up and asked, well, what exactly did he do? (laughs) And the guy spit out a number that boggled my mind and crushed me for about a month afterwards thinking, oh, man, if I had, you know, just been there to do it. It's like, well, trading's full of FOMO, man. If I was in 1997, I could buy Amazon, you know? Right. I, I, it's, it's not a productive thing. You, want, you need to have people that hold you accountable and will push you if you're being lazy or doing stupid trades, not following your risk management. But you just can't compare yourself day in and day in out to the people around you. It's just not going to be good for your mental health and not going to be good for your trading consequently. I mean, Jack, I think you hit the nail on the head for everyone's one of their most difficult tendencies, right? Watching other people succeed and you not is painful. 
you know, it, and it, it, it's in every, every aspect of life, you know, you're playing t-ball with one kid and he gets, you've played with for three years and then he gets picked on the team above you or we were going tennis and the person you've been playing with makes it to number one and you're sitting at number 10 to, to sit there and look at that and go, well, I want to be that number. I think every aspect in life is that same bit of FOMO. Like it's, and it's one of the best things we did at the firm I was at. So everyone was percentage based on actual profits made by the firm, not so much just your trading. Like you had, it was a big structure. Um, but like the more everyone made, the more like physically made for the firm, the more money everyone else made. So like if we had a trader that was really crushing it and he he has a level that's working and he knows how it's working, instead of holding that to himself, he was showing everyone else in that room what he's doing at that level so everyone can get in and make that money together because certain amount of size that you're willing to take, you can't just take it all. You know, you, you, there's a point of risk management you got to think about. And so if you can share it around and people are looking at the strategy and you have a strategy that's successful for a month or two and everyone's executing on it, that just means everyone's going to make more money. And so that was a huge benefit to like how we did our team trading. Yeah. So what about you, Dan? Do you have an absolute worst? It's cool if you're sound, if you're an all-around player, but... Uh... No, I'm not. So my worst attribute, and I'll get kind of more micro and not like, you know, into the the mental side of things like my worst attribute is I, I always add more when it goes against me. Like I leverage in, I'm trying to bring that price lower. I know I shouldn't, but I, and I don't want to say always, cause I don't always do this. This is not something I do on like weekly basis, yeah, that, but like that rules hard to follow for a reason. I do the same thing. It is. And I don't have a rule around it because I, I kind of focus more on like where my capital's at, what my money management is like, it's okay for me in my strategy to leverage in as the market goes against because I'm not jumping in something right away fully leveraged out. Like I have room and availability to do it. But I will say it has hurt me. It's something I don't want to continue to do, but I know I will. And so I have other rules around it so I can allow myself to do this because I've accepted like that's just something I'm going to do. I don't mind trading with some size. Um, so I have to be really conscious of how I leverage in and how I create my strategy around it so that I am not going to hurt myself too much. Yeah. I, I Like, I'm going to do it. it. It is what it is. It's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, f fader's a fader, man. <laughs> I was a fader, and I know it's, it's hard. You know, knowing when to capitulate is just the hardest thing to do. And the people that can do it, are way better traders for it. Like I look at it and I'm pretty open with like, you know, I like this idea of range bound trading, but I run a bunch of different levels. And so maybe I'll short one level. It moves through that level. It goes to my next level. And it's like, well, yeah, I actually really do like this level. Um, but I was taking the first shot. Now it's given me another area to get into this market that at a level that I run stars. So a lot of people know I run from zero to three stars. If I see, if I get in at a one star and it runs to a three star and I still like market action, I still like order flow here, I'll short that one too and I'll just leverage in. And eventually it's either going to work or not work. Um, but that's, it is part of my strategy. 
there are things that I need to work on with it, but I accept it. It is part of my trading. Well, that feels good to get off the uh, collective chest here. Um, I guess what I, you know, as we start finishing up this podcast, what I'd suggest to anybody who has made it this far is to really think about doing this yourself and writing it down. I know with a lot of business and corporate stuff, they make these, they love doing SWAT charts, SWAT charts, right? You've seen these, Dan, right? SWOT analysis. SWOT analysis. Strength, weaknesses. What is it? Uh, strengths. I haven't looked at a SWOT chart in so well, long. I think they're kind of useless. Hang on. Let me... Hang on. I got... Oh, it's... Uh, opportunities and threats. Strength, yes, strength weakness, weakness, opportunities, opportunities and, threats. and threats. So I think a, a lot of time in the business setting, they're used just to fill in a slide. You know, as part it's of hundred percent, percent. Like uh, I've got an hour and a half that I got to talk. We're going to throw in a SWAT SWAT. Because then you can go and ramble off. Here are the strengths, each one, and here's you can waste a lot of time in a talk like that. You can. I don't. I think it's a little different on the. You don't have to do SWAT per se, but on an individual basis, if you're honest with about it and diagnosing what you could improve on and what you're good at, you don't have to do it as formal as that. But I think it would be worth writing down. And if you have a community of uh trading minded folks or a coach or someone you can talk to about this is uh don't be afraid to reveal what those weaknesses are and don't be afraid to play to your strengths either absolutely i mean and that's something like i think in life in general too right now it's it's a big topic and it's a conversation that has to be had like be open and honest like no one's gonna judge you for it like if if you have something that you really struggle with Say it. Yeah. Like, chances are there's a lot of people that are struggling with the same thing. But we could, we could, you know, like, we could do a whole episode about this. We could go for days. (laughs) Right. I will say this, though, at the end of the day, you know, try to utilize some of the strengths that you have. Focus on those each and every day of trading. Make sure you walk away with something you're happy about. Because if you walk away and you had a losing day and you're relishing on the fact that you lost money, like, that's not going to be successful long term. Like, hey, you know what? I lost, you know, I lost a couple grand today. Not a big deal. I actually executed pretty well. I'm going to focus on that execution. And I got to just take a look at this market and see why, what was off and why I actually did lose as opposed to making. Well put. And with that, I think we will leave you, dear audience, for another week. Uh, Dan, thanks for talking about this. That was interesting. I like that. I did too. That was a fun topic. Yeah. This last so, couple uh, of weeks have been uh, pretty open and honest. Well, because we're moving into our trading psychology. We're going to focus on that for maybe the next 12 weeks. We got some cool, um, I'll tease because we're not recording yet, but we have some cool guests coming up and um, just some generally great conversations because I think especially in an audio format, you can learn charts online you know, be, it's it's so visual. It's tough for me to be like this. Imagine this squiggly line. It's like a V and it goes up and this is blah, 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 blah. It's better to read that in a book or a PDF if you're a millennial like me. So we'll focus on psychology for now, but uh, don't worry about it too much because it's almost a weekend, folks. Woo, 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 woo. Woo, how like a wolf, it's the weekend. So uh, have a nice Thursday evening. We'll be back next week with a brand new podcast. But until then, namaste and trade well.
Limit Up is presented by Top Step and produced by Dante32. Futures in Forex trading contain substantial risk and is not for every investor. An investor could potentially lose all or more than their initial investment. Risk capital is money that can be lost without jeopardizing one's financial security or lifestyle. Only risk capital should be used for trading, and only those with sufficient risk capital should consider trading. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future results.